Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme all about the built environment and how to make our cities better places to live in. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up... It functions as a bit of a tourist trap, but not even the most hardline New York supremacists I know are willing to dismiss the High Line as meritless. Ever since opening to the public in 2009, New York's High Line has served as an inspiration for cities around the world. It showed the power of reimagining urban spaces and how looking with fresh eyes at a decommissioned rail line or abandoned freight corridor can help create better, greener public spaces. This week, we get a glimpse into future London as we tour the route of what's set to be the Camden High Line, scheduled to open in 2025. We also head to Singapore to walk along its own rail corridor and see how it's changed the city. And finally... We'll check in on the original one and see how it's doing today. That's all coming up over the next 30 minutes, right here on The Urbanist, with me, Andrew Tuck. We start today's programme just a few kilometres north from our studio here in London. We're going just above King's Cross Station on York Way to meet Simon Pitt-Keithley, the CEO of Camden Town Unlimited and Tatiana von Prusen, the lead architect at VPPR. Together, they're at the helm of what's set to be the new Camden High Line, transforming a section of disused railway into a new elevated urban park for London. In total, the route will run for 1.2 kilometres, weaving through residential estates and businesses, connecting communities with other parts of Camden, which are not so easily accessible now. To find out more... Should we walk along the future route? Come on, let's go. I think one of the nice things, I always think when I'm at this end of the High Line, it gets quite narrow because we're quite near the track. But there's also quite a lot of this disused land that one of the things when you sort of talk to people in at this end of the High Line, people do say things like, well, fine, you can have a nice curated park over there, but what about all this? Can't you scoop that in as well? Because it's not well used, a lot of antisocial behaviour, can't you kind of scoop that in? Which would be nice, I think. We'd like to do it. I mean, at the moment, we're dealing with network rails land because one step at a time, and this is Camden's, but, you know. So this is going to be part of it here, then? This is... That wall there, that concrete bit there, that's the edge of the High Line. And you can see the tracks just beyond, so there's a thin strip between that wall and the tracks. But this kind of overgrown sort of wasteland potentially could be pulled in and, and give something a bit more to this Maiden Lane estate. This doesn't belong to the railways. It doesn't belong to the railways, it belongs to the estate. So maybe, Simon, you can just start and tell us the birth of this idea, because you've begun to show us one part of where the, this high line will be. And I must say, it'd be hard to spot the opportunity unless you, you looked very closely, because as you say, some parts are very narrow, you, you need to develop some barriers and shields even at the point we're at. How did you spot the opportunity, or, how, or who did spot the well, opportunity? It actually, well, it wasn't any of us. It was a, an academic at UCL called Oliver O'Brien, who, I think inspired by New York and Paris, did a piece of work on the sort of ten sites in London that you could do something like this. Uh, and, of course, it actually makes sense when you look at it from above. And so then he wrote about that, and a local rag called the Kentish Town had picked it up, 
and then various sort of people around us said, oh, you should do that, and we thought, that's nuts, and here we are. And tell me the, the process from him spotting this on a map to now and the process you still have to go through. What, what's been the journey of time so far and how long do you think before people will be potentially walking along, along the highway? I think we took it on about five years ago and we've raised and spent a million quid on it to get it through planning and we've hired brilliant people like Tatiana to help us do that. And I think with a fair wind, we could be open early 25, first section. And how much money do you need to raise to build this? Then? So we need to raise another 14 million to build that first section. And the reason we're doing that sec- at the Camden Town End first is partly because, as you'll see, there's a, an entrance at Camley Street which still needs to be worked out in conjunction with the development that the local authority are doing. But also, that's the widest part, so it'll be the kind of you know, wow, glam factor at that end, which I think will help us raise the money to build the next two sections. Tatiana, it's fascinating seeing you working on this project because you were part of the team that made that original High Line, which has been a piece of placemaking, a park making that's captured people's attention all around the world. What lessons from that are helping you shape the park that we're going to be seeing built here in London? Well, I'm working with that original firm that did the High Line in New York, James Corner Field Operations. And I used to work for James Corner and I came to London to set up my own practice. And when we saw the competition, I thought, well, this would be a really good partnership to be the local arm and they have the kind of lead role. And there's obviously the experience of doing a High Line is very, very unique. It's incredibly complex to understand the existing constraints you know it looks like there's already plants there there's already greenery you could just sort of you know somehow put in a a light touch sort of path or something but actually that all the land is contaminated so that has to be dealt with there's also lots of restrictions about how you get things on and off the high line in terms of plants and maintenance equipment and installation and then what's unique to this which wasn't the case on the new york high line is the live railway so that's a unique challenge here and will make it very, very different from the New York High Line. It'll have a completely different feel to it, partly as a result of that. So you can see these big gantries and all of the electrical lines that are overhead. And there's a huge amount of stuff that's suspended above us. And all of that is live wires. So you're not allowed to use anything metal on the whole High Line, apart from the, the stairs and things which are far enough away. So you have to be five metres from the overhead lines. So all of the screens and the planking and benches, everything up there has to be made out of wood or recycled plastics or other materials. Obviously you can have kind of small fixings and things, but anything continuous in case a line came down and kind of electrified the whole project. And just tell me, what's the purpose of the park? Of course, lovely to have a high line in London, but I guess the reason that the New York one became such a success was it was seen to do two or three things. It connected new communities, it re-engaged people with places that had been a little bit industrial off the edge of the city. You can hear some of the, the things that you're going to be contending with rattling past us now. A, a great, huge truck laden train going past. So, But when we think about New York, so it was connecting communities, it was a bit environmental, it was a, a new pace of life in the city. All those things being built into your... You're not just an architect here, you're, you're having to think about many more things beyond the actual building process. 
I think that one of the really important things it does, beyond being just a, a wonderful park, which it will be a really magical place, is that it creates this very strong connection east-west, which currently is very restricted in Camden. You know, if you try to do this walk, we'll see as we walk along it, but you kind of have to zigzag in and out. There's barriers that, you know, it will make this much better connection. And particularly for something like the Maiden Lane Estate here, where we're standing, it will connect it much more directly with Camden Town, much more directly with Camden Road Station and ultimately Camden Town Station. And it will create a much safer connection through. Currently, there's a very unsafe connection through a kind of very restricted, small, dark bridge over the railway, which is a bit perilous in the evening. So I think it will give a lot in terms of actually just the straightforward connections, pedestrian walk. I think the other thing is that, you know, this project is coming after the pandemic when... You know, people's mindset have readjusted to meeting outdoors much more, even in the winter, and going on walks and going to parks. And you see how busy the canal is, how much that's used and loved. And hopefully it will give a bit more room for everyone to enjoy those kind of walks. And I think these green threads are important. The fact of a walk, you know, a kind of weekend walk, is it doesn't have to be in one big contiguous park. It can just be through green streets and, and it all ties into something else that the, the bid have been working on, which is this idea of a green loop and thinking about not just large areas of green space, but how spaces connect together so you can walk in a continuous you know, green loop. And here you could walk along the High Line, go down through Coldrops Yard and then walk back up along the canal. That's a lovely sort of, could be a lovely hour. The actual hour and a half park walk. that you're, you're working on is how long? 1.2 kilometres. Simon, no messing about with the branding here. You've, you've gone for the Highline name. Is that because you recognise there is some global recognition for what that represents and what it can do? Even if you haven't been to New York, you might have heard the tale of this extraordinary piece of reuse of an old railway line. Absolutely. People know what Highline is now. We use a single word rather than two. But yes, it's very much in keeping with the idea that trying to get the idea across to people is half the battle. And once you say Highline to a lot of people they instantly get it you know we have toyed with changing the name but um, we get resistance people you know it, it does what it says on the tin that's and right. just tell me you explained earlier on as we were walking here about how businesses are paying a little bit of extra money on their rates to help secure this project is there a commercial outcome that needs to go along with this project as well because you know in, in new york it did two interesting things it, you know obviously you get restaurants and cafes so literally on the high line but then it re you know, depending where you stand in the debate, it either regenerated or gentrified some unusual areas of, of the city where there were like repair garages and suddenly there were art galleries there and things. How are you playing those two, that business line? Well, I think there's two parts to it, really. One is that unlike New York, we go through four housing estates that are owned by the local authority. So there's this kind of ceiling on gentrification because the local authority can't realise that. The value of the balance sheet will go up, but they can't realise that in that way. So you have a sort of depressing factor on that, which I think is, is actually a good thing. If you own a home in Kentish Town, you'll do very well out of it, and commercial buildings around. But actually, it's not quite the same. The other thing is that, as you'll see as we do the walk, all four of the feet land in very unloved bits of Camden. So I think it's not that we're sort of taking things away from people. We're actually bringing life to dead space. In fact, we should probably walk a bit yeah, more yeah. and we'll, okay. we'll see them. So when you're talking about you know, getting buy-in from the communities as well, so all these people, are, you've had to kind of work with all these people who is going to be walking behind their houses and... Yes, yes. I think so, yeah. But it's a very different engagement experience here than it is, say, in Kentish Town 
where you know you've got more people who've probably been to New York or been to the New York High Line. The green agenda is much higher up their agenda and less concerned about antisocial behaviour and stuff. So it's an interesting and very different conversation. In the design phase, field operations and the team that work in Tanya hired someone from around here to help us with the engagement because you know we were trying to find the pockets we couldn't reach, as it were. It's interesting, nature has been busy when people haven't been looking and has already claimed some of the territory. As you begin to think about planting and vegetation, is that something you're going to have to see where re- you retain some of nature's own work and where you clear and replant? It all has to be cleared and replanted because the soil is contaminated. But we are using Pete Aldolf, who also did the New York High Line, who's an incredible plantsman, and he it will use a lot of local varieties and probably several of the plants that are naturally growing up here. One thing that was really interesting was when we did the ecological report, it happens because it's such a constrained area. The diversity of plant life is actually quite limited. There's a few species, a handful of species that are predominant and basically suffocate out everything else. So in a maintained park, in a curated park, you actually have more biodiversity, ironically. In a bigger area, it might have been different, but in this constrained area, it's surprisingly undiverse. So just before we leave it, I should maybe just describe the opportunity here. So we've, we've come along a, this siding. There's certainly some quite nice graffiti maybe that will be retained, who knows. But there's a, a dumped scooter, there's a lot of garbage. You can see the opportunity to take this strip of land and do something far more appealing than what's here now. <laughs> through the exposed girders is quite a sort of special moment. Maybe I could set the scene a little bit. So we're on a quite a, a busy road that sweeps down to the station at King's Cross and there's the, the existing rail line that goes overhead in one part. And then this, is it an abandoned? There were, were trains that went over here originally, I presume? Yes. yes, so this is the line that's now defunct, which the High Line will be running along. And you can see that they've taken all the, you know, everything above the girders has gone. So the lights kind of filters through and you can look up to the sky. When you're up on top, you can see a tiny little access path that runs across the girders. You look down onto the tops of cars and buses and people's heads, and it's a very special view. So the idea is to keep this path, but it would be a bit wider for public use. But you still have this relationship between the street and the bridge. So you would still look over the edge and see through the girders here at this point? Yeah, yeah. Then we might be able to wrap a stair up into here, because I think if there's going to be so much development down St Pancras Way, I think it would make sense to kind of pick up uh, some of those developments and also to provide an entrance for the Agar Grove estate that feels that they have some ownership of it as well. Just tell me a funny thing, is the, the popularity of the High Lane, maybe you understand what's in its DNA that makes it so successful in New York. We came here on a double-decker bus, for example, and I was struck by how when you're just a few feet higher than you normally walk through the city, your perspective on it changes in extraordinary ways. And I wonder whether the, the High Line, as much as being a park, is there something to do with the vantage point that you get, just seeing the city anew? Is that something you felt that played out in New York? Absolutely. And in New York, there's a lot of games with framing and overlooks and little balconies and things, and we've got some of that going on here as well. So that's one of the things that did come into this. But definitely, I'd say the... You know, it's the vantage point. It's also a different vantage point for the trains because you're much lower than you normally experience the trains. You normally experience them at platform level and you've got these great big wheels and you're down at the bottom there. 
And the views are very different to New York. It's a bit more open in New York, and you see you've got the Manhattan grid. You have these really long views, whereas obviously London's much more higgledy-piggledy, and you see these sort of funny chimney pots and funny sort of awkward roof extensions and things popping up, but it's got its own charm. And then when you look to the south, you, you have those views over King's Cross and and all of the industrial sites. But to do well here, so then you're, you're being you know, an ecologist, you're being an architect, but you're also being a bit of a, a theatre producer in a way then, about the drama of the, the views, the sights and the things and the sounds that you'll hear. Absolutely. And I think that the drama of, with the stairs in particular, we really tried to create a kind of dramatic entrance where you're not just going the quickest way from A to B but you're winding through existing Victorian structures that are semi-ruined and it has a the experience of discovering something new in the city, something that you, you know, it's like what you were saying when we were walking through that there's these parts of London that you haven't experienced before. And we've had that even more going up there and and you feel like you've broken into something where you're not really meant to be. And I, I think keeping a bit of that is quite important to us. Black shutter will be entrance two or three, depending on which way you come. And you can really sense here that infrastructure you're playing with. And obviously that's the existing train We've got all this to play with. So another abandoned train station? Yes. Well, this is the abandoned station. So Cannon Road Overground entrance is here, and you can see the existing train line there. But there used to be two more platforms to the other side. If you've ever been on the eastbound platform at Cannon Road, there's a rickety old fence behind you, and you just think it's a couple of trees. Actually, it's 20 metres of space. And as I say, there used to be two more platforms. And the black arch over there that you can see, which didn't used to be black, it's just painted it recently, was an entrance up to those additional platforms. And you can see where the window's been bricked in and Tatiana's come up with schemes to really reuse the bits of the building that are there. This will be where you would walk up to join the, the High Line? Yeah, we'd simply just reopen the stair. The stair is no longer there, but the, the void for the stair is still there. And it's a very direct route up to the platform but it goes through this rather amazing building and you can see that bricked up piece used to be a window. There was actually a lot more height to this building, had a waiting room up there with a window that looked out. So we're reopening that window, it'd be more like a Juliet balcony now. And so you'll sort of see, again, there's that sort of play with theatre where you, down on the street, you can see people up there framed in the, in the opening. People at the top can look down onto the street. And hopefully it really improved this yeah. side of the station because the north side of the High Line on the whole tends to be a lot less loved than the south side and this could be a kind of great bustling public square but it's a little bit sad and people use it as a dumping ground and again it's a piece of Camden that needs a bit more footfall to really bring it to life and I just think we can do that quite easily the mayor of London has an aspiration that everyone should be within 400 metres of green space because of the density of those housing estates 10,000 people qualify for that the minute you open the High Line and if you go to 500 metres, it's 20,000 people. You know, it has a big effect on a lot of people. And we all know the benefits of green space on people's mental health, etc. You just suddenly realise, in a city that you've lived much of your life, how much of it you don't know, how many bits are tucked away, how many bits of land are unused. You know, we, we worry about the lack of space in our cities, but here in one of the most developed cities in the world, you suddenly realise that somebody with a good eye spotted an opportunity. It's also fascinating what it will do to the people along the line because it's mostly publicly owned housing. It's not going to be a huge boost of gentrification all along the line. 
but I think it will bring a sense of security and openness to some communities. It's a win-win situation, so an extraordinary piece of urbanism to see at this kind of slightly nascent stage, but again, impressive that in two years you could see the first part of this already open. But it's not just Europe that's succumbed to the charm of the original High Line. Singapore's rail corridor is a 24-kilometre walking and cycling trail that stretches north to south across the island. For decades, it operated as a railway line linking Singapore to Malaysia. But in 2018, Singapore's National Parks Board began converting the disused track into an urban nature trail that passes through forests, housing developments and old train stations. To learn more, Monocle's Naomi Zhu Elegant took a walk along the rail corridor with Leong Kwok Pung, who chairs the Conservation Committee of the Singapore Nature Society. Let's join them on their journey. Historically, I've always used this railway line to get to Malaysia. Because as a student, you can't afford anything else. The only cheapest way is to go by railway. You know, I've been going to Malaysia for my jungle trekking trips to climb mountains and all. So the only way is to actually take a train all the way to Malaysia. And the feeling I get is whenever I step in a train and when the train departs from Tanjong Pagar Station, it's like stepping into Malaysia. You know, that ruler feeling, you know, away from city area and all. So I have kind of uh, emotional attachment uh, to the railway line. So that's why in 2010, when we heard about this, so I actually organised a group, many architects, people from the Nature Society, and we actually put together a proposal to say that we should keep this space as a public space. Don't pass it out for private development, you know. Keep it for nature, for recreation, you know. We have justified with a few other things, including it as a heritage trailer. Because that was our connection to Malaysia. Lots of people have travelled and, you know, when we think about going to Malaysia in the past, we always think about travelling by railway. So that was the impetus for throwing in the proposal. And never in my wildest dream, you know, that I would expect the government to embrace the entire line. You know, I was already happy if they gave us half. <laughs> so it was quite a big surprise and, you know, it's quite emotionally high la, when I heard that, you know. So, as you can see, it's really well developed. You know, it's very visitor-friendly. And you start to hear birds call. Could you talk a bit about how the High Line influenced you when you were trying to get this project to happen? I think we were trying to look for cases where people have converted old railway track into a public space, a green space. And the High Line was actually just in the early years of development. So I think that's a good case. And we say that the High Line is just 2 to 3 kilometres long. And here we are talking about 26 kilometres long, 10 times the length. So that there are cases where people actually convert railway land to a green corridor. So that was why we used the High Line. And the High Line is also like, you know, a ground-up initiative. It's not from top down. You know, the people want it. 
So we are trying to build the case that here, same thing, you know, the people want it to be a public space because of its greenery. And even without doing anything, it's already made nature corridor. You, you look at the, the forest, you know, the woodland all around you. Thanks to the Malaysian, uh, because when they were maintaining it as a railway line, they don't really bother to cut back too much. They leave everything wild on both sides, which is beautiful. And over the years, you attracted birds, you know, all kinds of animals. Yeah, I think for people who've only been to the Highland, they'd be quite surprised at just how much jungle there is around us. There's a sign back there saying, beware of lightning and falling branches. Mm. Like, it's really, really verdant. So uh, I think it's similar here, but multiply it 10 times in terms of wildness, in terms of length. And you said yourself you've never actually been to the Highland in New York, right? No, I have not been there, but I've seen photographs of it. I can't afford it. Commoner like me can't afford to go all the way to New York. <laughs> I love to. I love to communicate with people from the High Line, you know, friends of the High Line. We met outside the MRT station, the train station, and there were so many car noises. And the moment we stepped in here, they're almost gone. Yeah, you start to hear birds and all. And we are midway through, and right in front of us is what we call the Clementi Forest. And this place, we have recorded the highest number of birds along the entire length of the Rio Corridor. I think about 80, 70 to 80 species. I think I hear some thunder in the distance, but should we keep walking? Sure. You have an umbrella? Yes. <laughs> For us, Nature Society, what is important is more than just the strip of railway land, but it's the green areas alongside, you know, the wild areas. The rail corridor actually crosses through quite a bit of various habitat. In the north, we have a patch of mangrove, Mandai mangrove, which is now a nature park. And then, you know, as you go further south, you pass through quite a bit of pieces of grassland and woodland. And then you actually passes through a primary rainforest, that's Pukidima. And then over here, we have the biggest patch of secondary forest. And then all along, you, you would have small patches of wilderness alongside. That's what makes the corridor that special and important. Not just for nature, but I think for people, I think they love it. A report there by Monocle's Naomi Zhu Elegant in Singapore. This is The Urbanist. Finally on today's show, it's time for a health check on the original project. Here's Monocle's Henry Sheridan with this letter from New York's Highline. Extending for nearly a mile and a half through the neighbourhood of Chelsea, the High Line is an elevated linear park built on a former railroad spur on the west side of Manhattan. A big part of what makes the park special is that it's really long and thin. And to be honest, that fact alone gives it a compelling weirdness appeal. But there's more to the High Line than that. On both sides, the park's walkways lined with plants modelled on the vegetation that grew on the tracks in the years it lay derelict. There's artwork to be found all the way along the walk. A public video art programme hosts regular screenings in a covered section of the park, and there's an amphitheatre with a massive window you can use to spy on people below. It's easy to imagine these combined elements not meshing and feeling gimmicky, but in the case of the High Line, the execution has come off, and it just works. 
It functions as a bit of a tourist trap. But not even the most hardline New York supremacists I know are willing to dismiss the High Line as meritless. Most of the credit for the success of the project has to go to the community group organisers who saved the elevated railway structure from demolition. In October of 1999, Joshua David and Robert Hammond formed a non-profit organisation called Friends of the High Line. It had been 19 years since the last train had rolled along the elevated tracks. Three boxcars containing frozen turkeys for a West Side meat wholesaler. Since then, the High Line had fallen into disrepair. It was threatened with demolition during Rudy Giuliani's second term as mayor. But friends of the High Line advocated for the structure's preservation. They had a vision for an elevated park or walkway, similar to the Promenade Plante in Paris or the Landschaftspark Duisburg Nord in Germany. Both of these projects were innovative precedents for the repurposing of industrial land in urban landscaping. Friends of the High Line were boosted in their efforts by the photos of the elevated tracks that were taken by Joel Sternfeld in the year 2000. The images captured the eerily meadow-like natural beauty that had sprung up on the High Line during its disuse. The images were wheeled out at public meetings when the subject of saving the High Line was discussed. The cause also attracted endorsement from the city's art world, whose centre of gravity had shifted from Soho to Chelsea in the mid-1990s. Several galleries hosted fundraising benefits for the High Line in the early 2000s. Fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg, who had moved her New York City headquarters to the area in 1997, organised fundraising events in her studio with her husband, Barry Diller. With momentum building, Giuliani's successor as mayor, Michael Bloomberg, announced plans for a High Line Park in September of 2003. Construction commenced in 2006. The park was designed by the New York-based landscape architecture firm Field Operations and architects Diller, Scafidio and Renfro, along with several other design partners. Construction happened in phases with the first open to the public in June 2009. The most recently completed section was opened in June 2019, ten years later. The neighbourhood surrounding the High Line felt its impact from the completion of the first stage. It attracted millions of visitors to the area, 8 million in 2019. But it also led to an expansion of real estate development alongside the park and in the area surrounding it. The first of a string of projects linked to the development of the High Line was the Standard Hotel, which straddles the park, rising directly over it on two pillars. By 2009, more than 30 projects were planned or under construction nearby. In addition to new developments, properties directly adjacent to the High Line have seen their prices raised by an average of 10% over properties a few blocks away. The latest construction phase underway will connect the High Line to the Moynihan Train Hall at Penn Station. The High Line looks to shape New York for years to come, a remarkable achievement for a project that started as a vision of a community group. And what's most notable is that Friends of the High Line is still at the helm. The group has served as its primary steward since its opening in 2009, responsible for the daily operation and maintenance of the park. For Monocle in New York City, I'm Henry Rees Sheridan. Well, that's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. 
If you like the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get every new episode directly every week. And while you're at it, why not subscribe to Monocle magazine for regular reports on all things urbanism. And you can do that at monocle.com. Today's show was produced by Carlotta Rabello and David Stevens, and David also edited the show. And to play you out this week, here's New Order with People on the High Line. Thank you for listening, City Lovers. If you're...